point. Hey listeners, as many of you know, we endorse a lot of products here at Crack Rackets, and while we believe in all of them, I can personally offer a wholehearted, full-throated endorsement of our newest product, our newest partner and title sponsor here of our Great Shot Podcast, and a product I used all too often growing up as a tennis player. It's our friends over at Turna Tennis, makers of the world-famous Turna Grip. Now, Turna Grip is the only grip that gets tackier when you sweat. It's performance in hot and humid conditions unmatched by any other product in the tennis world. And of course, I'm talking about that trademark, iconic blue colored grip that you can see on the rackets of hundreds of touring pros across the world. Their mega tack grip, the tackiest grip on the market. If you would like to get yourself a pack of Turner Grip, you can find it anywhere you buy your tennis products, or you can email sales at uniquesports.com or call 800-554-3707. That's sales at uniquesports.com or 800-554-3707. Turner Grip, truly the tackiest and truly the best grip in all of tennis. Welcome. To the deciding point, our Crack Rackets weekly rundown of the biggest storylines going on throughout the tennis world. This week, we're focused on the action in Miami as we've got an ATP and WTA 1000 level event in the Miami Open. Fantastic tennis thus far through the first week of action. Want to talk about the results we've seen, offer some predictions for the next week ahead, and then, of course, talk about the court conditions in Miami as my deciding point with that in mind. Westoff, roll the credits. Let's start today's show. All day, play all night. Let's get it popping. I'm in Miami trick. Everybody on smash. There have been so many fantastic results delivered by the women thus far at the Miami Open, but in my opinion, two storylines really dominate all others at this WTA Miami Open event. Let's start with storyline number one, and in my opinion, the most consequential to the rest of this 2021 season, the return to form of Anna Konya. Now, if you've never heard of Konya, she's a former world junior number one, a former junior slam champion, someone who was a top 30 player in the world by the time she was 21 years old. Unfortunately, her past few seasons have been marred by injuries and just different setbacks off the court. So unfortunately, we haven't been able to see her play her best tennis of late. Certainly, we got to see her play her best tennis, though, in Miami. You look in her first two matches, straight set wins over Sinyakova and Madison Keys, and then the three-set victory over defending French Open champion Iga Sviantek. The big thing for Konya, just how obvious the talent is. Her contact point is something I think any player out there would be happy to trade with her and her ability to drive that backhand down the line. If you leave a sitter in the center of the court, she's either taking initiative or more likely ending the point by hitting some sort of winner or forcing an error out of her opponent. Uh, That backhand down the line in particular, so, so special. Her ability to catch that wing early, take 
take it cross court on the return of serve, take it down the line and just beat you to the spot. She's got a heavy top spin forehand as well. That grip is definitely interesting, but it opens up the court so well. And again, down the line, cross court, short angle, elevated high over the net to buy herself time. She can do a little bit of everything and she's winning over 70% of her first serve points in Miami. That's borderline elite. She has been great on her second serve. She's taken advantage of her breakpoint opportunities. In particular, she did such a good job playing aggressive tennis, taking it to Iga Sviantek, dictating throughout that match. And look, uh, you, you can tell Konya's still not where she wants to be from a fitness standpoint, from a movement standpoint. She's probably still two months away, but guess what? She's essentially missed the entirety of the past two seasons with injuries. And now you look in her last 52 weeks, Anna Konya, 21-11, some success on the ITF level. Obviously, the three huge wins here in Miami. She's going to be back in the top 200 and certainly a threat. Only 23 years old, doesn't turn 24 until the end of December. She's got a long career ahead of her, and we are all hoping she stays healthy because if she does, she can be right up there in the discussion with the Osakas, Andrescu's, Benchiches, Zabalenka's, uh, Kennens of the world, all of the young players. Too many to list at this point, but that's the sort of talent she has. Certainly, she had that pedigree in the juniors. If healthy, look out WTA Tour, of course. So many of the top stars in the WTA Tour are currently thriving right now. Someone I didn't mention, only 23, 24 years old, Ashley Barty. She's returned to form and looked so good here in her first tournament outside of Australia since the 2019 season. Of course, Osaka, Muguruza, they continue to roll. Annette Conteve, Elisa Mertens, that, uh, you know, those 10 to 25 ranked in the world players. They continue to win the matches they should. We saw Pagula win uh, against Pliskova. That's another third victory for her, I think, in her past four events. You know, again, if you're reading the numbers, you're following things closely. The players who have had success in Miami have had success in the weeks leading up to it. But the story of Konya and the top seeds, the two stories that to me transcend everything else that's happened in Miami thus far. Here are my predictions for the rest of the women's event down in Miami. Let's start with the big one, the glaring one, the thing we're all hoping for. I do think we're going to get Naomi Osaka, Garbine Muguruza, part two here in Miami. Of course, part one coming at the Australian Open. Muguruza had two match points on Osaka before ultimately Osaka was able to take the match in three sets. And look, Garbine Muguruza, you all know the numbers by now. She won the title in Dubai, made the final in Doha, has won over 80% of her matches dating back to the start of last season, made that 2020 Australian Open final. She's doing everything well right now, in my opinion, someone who truly is in the prime of her career. But I mean, so is Naomi Osaka. And you have to go back to before the tour restarted in August to find the last time Naomi Osaka lost on a hard court. I know she's only in her first quarterfinal now in Miami, but you just look across the board. I don't know anyone who's matched the level of Osaka or Muguruza left on their side of the draw. I do think, you know, essentially that match is a pick particularly with the conditions in Miami. And I think the winner of that match goes on to beat whomever it may be, whether it's uh, Barty, whether it's... Svitolina, whether it's any of the players still left in that top section of the draw. Of course, Arena Sabalenka on the right day, of course, can beat anyone as well. But, you know, I just, looking across the board, 
Barty's really good. It's vulnerable, though. She doesn't have that huge transcendent weapon that can just win her free point. Sabalenka does, but we saw Sabalenka on the brink of defeat already in this Miami Open, and she just you can't consider her on that tier of Osaka and Muguruza quite yet. Everyone else has question marks. Those two really don't. That's been the, uh, another one of the big stories here in this event is what we've seen from them at the majors. It's translating now to these other events, and I sincerely hope we do get a Muguruza Osaka semifinal. That's not to minimize, by the way, the performances of the Bardis, the Svitolinas of the world. Svitolina quietly, probably the second most consistent player beside, behind Simone Halp. I know that's a very specific title. Welcome back, of course, to the deciding point. That's what we do here at Crack Dragons. Get specific, but you know she's won about seventy percent of her tour level matches dating back to the start of the twenty fourteen season so that's seven and a half years now and again the elite of the elites they win 80 85 percent 70 percent's not the elite of the elites but that's damn good if you're Alina Svitolina she has been really consistent Barty of course again looks so good physically just her movement her ability to move the ball around the court her ability to find a way when things get ugly but the story still Osaka, Muguruza, can anyone stop them? In my opinion, it's only each other, and whomever wins that match likely to win this event. I'm going to stick in the Osaka camp. That serve, that forehand on these slow, high-bouncing courts, really, really tough out. But Muguruza is going to give her a fight, and again, I really hope that's the match we see. That would be my big prediction. The winner of that goes on to win. That's not a hot you know, take by any means, a hot prediction. I don't know if predictions can be hot. It's not a hot take, but it is my take for the second week of Miami. So many fascinating men's results thus far through the first week in Miami to sift through. But to me, the biggest takeaway watching this event play out... The 250s, the 500s we've seen between the Australian Open and the start of this Miami Open, they've mattered. And that fact has been proven clear by the results we've seen play out on court. Look at a guy like Alexi Popperin, who, yes, lost his match in three sets to Medvedev. But the fact that he beat, I believe it was Feliciano Lopez round one, the fact that he beat Opelka round two and gave Medvedev a three-set push in their matchup, that shouldn't surprise anyone. Given the fact that Popperin just won his first ATP title in Singapore, given he pushed Tsitsipas, I believe it was, to the brink uh, a few weeks ago, or maybe it was Medvedev. Medvedev pushed to the brink a few weeks ago. Either way, the point being his success, his confidence has translated here in Miami. You could say the same thing about guys like Diego Schwartzman, right, who won a title on uh, back in his home country of Argentina. Yes, it was on clay, but confidence begets confidence. Clearly, he's brought that with him to Miami. A guy like Sasha Bublik, he has advanced pretty steadily through his first few matches. Sebastian Corda, Daniel Galan, these are guys we've seen competing and having success at the 250 in challenger level. And again, given the limited match play available for all of these players, anyone who's winning matches, gaining confidence, that might be the single most valuable thing right now in all of tennis because everyone can serve, everyone can hit forehands and backhands, but how you execute in the big moments, how confident you are in yourself to execute in the big moments, that's the story mind. And, you know, again, continued success. It's more obvious, but guys like Rublev, Medvedev, they're beating everyone at this point. That's not going to come as a surprise to anyone, but certainly, again, that confidence has persisted. Roberto Bautista, Goot, playing some truly fantastic tennis right now. Karatsev, of course, Sinner, of course, all of these guys 
guys have had success have proven you know to be winning 60 70 percent of their matches over the past few months uh even a guy like francis tiafo it's really hard to beat him in a first round match right now at any atp level particularly given the conditions here in miami and i'll talk about that more in my deciding point but you know, again, sometimes we ask ourselves, and it is worth noting, there's no Djokovic, there's no Nadal, you want to say there's no Federer either, that's your prerogative here in Miami, but so frequently we wonder, do these results matter outside of the Grand Slams? And certainly, until we watch one of these next geners or Dominic team beat a you know, Nadal or Djokovic at a slam, maybe you're going to say, no, it doesn't matter. But the results we're seeing week in, week out are translating to the big events and it's lower ranked players making their breakthroughs. That is the storyline right now on the ATP tour. There are a lot of players who have had consistent success. You just have to know where to look for them. And in the case of the Popperins of the world, the Emil Rusevoris of the world, all of these guys, Cordas, Galans, it may not always be at the slams, but at the master of mass but at the 500, 250 challenger levels, these guys have brought it week in, week out, and now we're all starting to see it translate in the game's biggest. Some predictions for the second week of men's action in Miami. Let's just start with the most interesting section of the draw. It doesn't involve the three of the top four seeds still remaining, Medvedev, Rublev, or Tsitsipas. No, it's the section with a bunch of young talents. You've got Sinner taking on Rusevori. You've got Fritz taking on Sasha Bublik. That's a lot of firepower. And on the slow, hard, high-bouncing courts, these are going to bring out the best tennis in all four of these guys. Now, Yannick Sinner probably the most comfortable of the group moving on the clay, but in Fritz, in Rusevori, a little less so Bublik, but still you have guys who prefer the stability of a hard court surface, but get to benefit, you know, their lack of elite foot speed not exposed by these slow conditions. And so it really is fitting all of these guys. Big serves, big from the ground stroke. Bublik, of course, more serve than the ground strokes, but he can absolutely unleash, and his variety plays so well on these courts also. Whoever emerges out of that section, I mean, it's, it's a fascinating section, right? That person will have the first master semifinal of their career, and to me, when above all else, you know, the obvious take, the safe pick is to take Sinner. I just, you know, in one of our, my previous discussions, I said the results you're seeing in front of your eyes, believe them. On the right courts, the right conditions, and these just might be them, Sasha Bublik's game looks awfully good. And, you know, again, Fritz, that's an interesting challenge because the drop shots Bublik's going to play and the creativity playing to the outer thirds. If you can get Taylor Fritz stretched, that's usually the most difficult. However, Taylor Fritz going to, you know, make a ton of returns. And if Bublik gets undisciplined, anyways, you don't want to hear an individual match breakdown. The point being, that's the most fascinating section to me. I think Sinner and Rusevori going to do battle. They played... And Rusevori actually beat Sinner, I think, at the start of last season at the challenger level. I just think for Sinner, such a physical match against Hatchinov. I think it's going to be really physical against Rusevori as well. And in that case, it's, I just think that's a tough matchup. So give me Sasha Bublik. That's my bold prediction. He's going to make his first Masters 1000 semifinal of his career. I do think 
ultimately it could be another boring dare i say all russian uh final between it's not boring boring in terms of the prediction it's a boring prediction to say it's going to be a medvedev rublev final but use your eyes folks those two are just on another level right now uh you know stefano Tsitsipas is on that other level as well i just in these conditions the slightly slower hard courts i like rublev because he's going to have that much more time to set his feet uh, my prediction is that ultimately, because Daniil Medvedev's Andre Rublev's kryptonite, Medvedev's going to win this title over Rublev. But more than anything else, I think the conditions have produced some really physical tennis. And again, I think it's going to be an exceptional second week of action in Miami. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. For today's deciding point, I wanted to talk about something. It's a little bit arbitrary, a little bit difficult to quantify, but also undeniable if you've been following the action closely in Miami. These courts are playing deathly slow, and these balls are bouncing so high up in the air, and it has produced, in my opinion, some extraordinary hardcore tennis. And if you don't believe me, just look at the numbers thus far. You look at some of the matches and the court time we've seen unfold. You know, uh, we have had three matches go over three hours. We've had seven matches go out over two hours, 50 minutes. Again, we're only playing best of three sets here. And, you know, you just look at the, the sort of player that has advanced through the draw. A guy like Daniel Galan, who the majority of his high-level pro uh, success has come on clay. A guy in Francis Tiafo, the majority of his, uh, I shouldn't say the majority, but his best win percentage is on clay uh, in terms of his ATP level success. And, you know, you look at some of the other guys, Sebastian Corda, Diego Schwartzman, they've had a lot of success on clay for quarter of the round of 16. You all know Schwartzman's bona fides on clay at this point. You know, that's a whole category of player who has been benefited by these slower hard courts. Those guys who, you know, sometimes don't have the biggest weapon and it gets exposed on a hard court. They're finding themselves just fine here in Miami. There's also the quality of player who maybe they lack a step or two that keeps them from being elite in terms of their movement or even keeps them from being good movers on tour. Or you look at players who perhaps because of physical diminishment have lost a half a step and because of that aren't able to get to the ball and rip through it the way they usually do. Well, that, that that weakness has essentially been neutralized by these court surfaces in Miami. Look at a guy like Marin Cilic, who clearly has lost a half step, who hadn't won three matches in a row until this Miami Open since, I think, the 2019 season. Uh, you know, he just has that extra split second and makes things that much easier for him. Look at guys like Fritz and, you know, Emil Rusevori, who, again, would never be accused of being elite movers, but if you give them time, if they have an extra half second, they're always going to make the most of it. Of course, you know, it's also because they're slow and high bouncing, 
There's a reason John Isner's lost one match at this Hard Rock Stadium because his serve, you know, when he hits the kick, he is on top of the net by the time you're hitting that return even. And it's just like good luck getting the ball by a guy with a seven-foot wingspan who's already on top of the net. And it's just, you know, Rayonich has had success. Bublik, another big server who's had success. And, you know, you could even throw, if you wanted to, Rublev in a, as a guy who's lucky enough to have the weapons to transcend the court speed. And then, of course, on the WTA side, look at people like Sabalenka, uh, who has that valuable weapon. She's one of three people, maybe, who can actually hit through these courts in Miami. Or people like Muguruza or Bardi or Von Drusova or Svitolina, who thrive on their point construction. Or Jabour, and, you know, with these slow, hard courts, have been able to work their opponents to the outer third to make matches physical. I guess my point is, look, no one needs to advocate for the slowing down of hard courts. It's been happening across tennis for the past 10 years. But if you want to know why it's happened, look at the quality of play in Miami here these past seven, eight, nine days. I think the quality has been phenomenal. Perhaps it's not your cup of tea. And if it's not, please let me know why. But to me, this Miami Open, the perfect test case of why the slowing down of hard courts has actually been a really fun thing for tennis fans.